From Notre Dame Stories, this is Office Hours, where we visit faculty where they work to talk about their research and whatever else we happen to find there. I'm your host, Andy Fuller. For most of us these days, office hours take place almost anywhere but the office. The dining room, bedroom, basement, they've all become the places we work, not just where we live. The pandemic has profoundly altered work-life balance for Americans, and new research is uncovering how we're dealing with this shift. We spoke with Abby Okabach, who studies family sociology, about the research and some early findings. We spoke on Zoom, and our conversation began with that most common work-from-home occurrence. Abby, how are you? Ah, of course I'm muted. Of course you are. Everyone's <laughs> muted. Yeah, every single Zoom conversation starts with one person saying to the other, I'm muted. <laughs> yeah, well, so good. So we're off on the right foot then. Uh, all right, so we're talking about um, work-life balance and that issue in, in the U.S. I mean, I think that's kind of come into stark relief here in, in the pandemic. But I wonder if we should start maybe pre pandemic and talk about some, some context there, because there's some really interesting findings about that issue, work-life balance, and maybe specifically um, mothers uh, in that context, even before, you know, March 2020. Can you give us an overview of, of what that looked like? Yeah, I mean, work-life balance issues and, and sort of motherhood guilt, these are not new issues, right? Um, and they're also, in some ways, not distinct to the U.S., although there are there are ways in which the U.S. is very distinctive, right? So I think it's really important to have some context for what the state of work-life balance uh, was before the pandemic. I mean, so one place to start is with, with family policies, right? The U.S. has the worst family policies of all Western countries, right? So we are the only country not to mandate paid uh, parental leave, Um and so all other Western countries uh, do that and offer significantly uh, more unpaid leave as well. So we have um, there's some really bad family policies um, in terms of leave, but also in terms of things like um, expected work hours. We work some of the longest hours um, of all Western countries. Uh, we don't have a clear sort of overtime policy. Um, and so some of that kind of... Um, policy background is important, right? The U.S. is distinctive in that way. Um, another sort of, I think, way in which the U.S. is is somewhat distinctive is we have really high expectations for mothers. Mm. Our cultural expectations of what it means to be a good mother are intense, right? So sociologists, um, this comes from Sharon Hayes, we talk about intensive mothering. And so we've shown the ways that the expectations of what mothers should be doing have really increased over the last few decades, right? So mothers are, uh, expect, especially middle-class mothers, um, are expected to invest massive amounts of time and energy into their kids, uh, sacrifice everything else. Uh, motherhood is meant to define them. It's meant to be the most sort of compelling, important thing that they do. Um, and in some ways, that that's somewhat distinctive to the U.S., those very high cultural. So, you know, I think that's important context, but we also know a lot, right? So we have a, a ton of amazing scholarly work, a, a lot of studies, in fact, 
um, a study it just came out this year in the Journal of Marriage and Family by Caitlin Collins, who's a well-known scholar of work family balance. And she compares mothers in the US to mothers in Germany, Italy, and Sweden. So she interviews over 100 professional middle-class working moms. And she says, look, you know, work, work family conflict, it, it exists everywhere. In the 21st global economy, work family conflict is a fact. But American mothers were more harried, more stressed. She said they cried in every interview and, and mothers in other countries didn't do that. Um, and they blamed themselves. Hmm. So that was the big thing. So this is where sort of the motherhood guilt comes in, right? So whereas mums in other countries would say, would blame the lack of uh, government policies, lack of uh, partners stepping up, lack of employers understanding, American mums said, I'm not doing something right, you know, and I, I need to solve this problem myself hmm. um, rather than look to other people to solve problems. Just to be clear, I mean, we haven't seen or we don't have that same type of uh, scholarly work done that shows the same thing for fathers, correct? Or is it is it different? Yeah, we do. We have some great scholarship on fathers, um, but work-family balance is not um, central to that scholarship, right? So, so um, finding solutions for work-family balance, that is very much seen as a mother's job, hmm. right? Um and so we know that mothers um, opt out of the workforce as a, as a sort of solution to that, right? They give up their careers. Uh, we, we haven't seen fathers doing that. Right. Um, uh, and so, so it is, this is distinctive to mothers. That does not mean that dads don't have a tough time in all kinds of other different ways. And right. we have wonderful work on that. But yes, I do think this is distinctive to moms. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. already uh, before, you know, this spring, uh, working parents, especially working mothers, stretch pretty thin. Uh, then along comes the pandemic, and I think a lot of us are intimately familiar with what <laughs> that did to family life. You know, now you're working from home, you're an employee and a teacher, as well as a caregiver and, and all these other roles. So what is it that you wanted uh, to really find out about this new arrangement, and, and how did you go about answering that question? Yeah. I mean, sort of at a very basic level, what I wanted to find out is how on earth are parents and couples managing these massive demands of having full-time, mostly professional jobs. So everybody who took part was, you know, had full-time jobs working from home. They all had at least one child in elementary or middle school. So they were having to do, you know, full-time homeschooling as well. Like, this is just a lot to handle. So at a sort of basic level, what I wanted to find out is how do they manage it? How right. are people coping or not coping? But I also, um, I, I, the thing about crises is they are opportunities for change, right? So when, when terrible things happen, sometimes what, what happens is couples and families, they reevaluate. They have to renegotiate together. They have to think, well, what are our priorities? And so there was some potential here. I was curious you know, dads are suddenly being forced to be at home um, <laughs> with their kids, spend more time with them. Mums might get away with feeling less guilty because they're not at work. They're actually at home with their kids. Mm. Um, couples are spending more time together. So there were all these ways I thought, well, there could be some really positive change to come out of this. So for me, that was the driving motivation. Will this lead to change or not? What helps couples achieve change and what hinders them? So let's talk about the uh, work question 
first. Um, it appears, for the most part, there's a pretty noticeable imbalance uh, there. Can, can you describe it? Yeah, I think there are two kinds of imbalances, right? So I think the first is how much parents paid work, their jobs, were disrupted mm. by childcare. And what was really interesting is that dad's jobs kind of seemed to just carry on. Um, so dads were at home, they were there, they were present, um, but they would sort of hide away. And they would describe themselves as hiding away, and their wives would describe them as hiding away, right? So mm -hmm. they were given the family office, or the household office. Um, and they mostly kept the same hours as before. Women didn't. Um, so they had to wake up really early in the morning, and then they would do the kids' schooling, and then they would work late at night. Um, and they were interrupted a lot more. So they were fitting their paid work in around all the childcare and sort of doing it in these, it was very sporadic, doing it in these little fits and bursts throughout the day and later into the night. Um, whereas men seem to have a much more consistent work schedule. And in some parts, as I'll, I'll talk about uh, a little later on, in some parts it's that because they didn't have employees that allowed anything else of them, right? Um, so, so that was a really big imbalance. You know, men's paid work just wasn't really very disrupted and women's was just kind of all mm -hmm. over the place. Um, the other was in guilt, right? So that the, the, this is the thing. I mean, this is a striking finding. Pretty much, I wouldn't say all, but I would say the vast majority of mums that I spoke to talked about feeling guilty. Mm. Not a single dad ever mentioned the word Hmm. Right? This is this is really this is a big imbalance. So what moms would say is, is that they're home all day with their kids, um, so they're spending all they're spending more time with them, but they still felt so guilty. They felt guilty every time they had to be doing their job, their work. They felt guilty if their kids caught them having a moment to themselves, checking Facebook or Instagram or whatever it was. If they wanted to go for a run. Um, they felt guilty that, you know, they, they weren't spending good enough time with their kids. They weren't helping them enough with their schoolwork. Uh, so it was just this, you know, no matter what they were talking about, moms felt guilty. Um, and dads didn't mention it. Hmm. Was it, was it guilt over their, um, role in the family or was it also, did they feel guilty about maybe they weren't feeling like they were giving enough time to their employer? Yeah, right. It goes both ways. Mm. That's exactly right. Um, they're being sort of pulled and they loved their jobs and they loved their kids. So they're being, you know, this is what there's a sociologist, Mary Blair Loy, she calls sort of the competing devotions, right? Yeah. Um, they're being pulled in, in these different directions. Um, and yeah, so they felt guilty for both. But I would say most of it was more about their kids, right? They, they, this, is a, this was a pandemic. Their kids were suffering. They wanted to be there for their kids. And dads did too. But dads sort of um, just accepted that they had to just get on with their job. And they didn't feel so guilty about it. Hmm. I think they, these are continuations of trends that already existed. But I think it's a complicated story, right? And so um, I'll just sort of give you a couple of little um insights that I think might help in figuring out, you know, if this is not because dads are selfish and malicious and don't want to help out, right? But there are these really entrenched patterns 
in, in sort of work life and in sort of cultural expectations that make it really hard for things to change. So one is workplace flexibility. Right? So the only time dads really stepped up was when they had a lot of workplace flexibility and the, and, the, and the moms had very little. But that is not a common situation because very prior to the pandemic, women had already sought out jobs that were flexible mm. to try and manage the work-family conflict, to try and manage the mom guilt. So they already worked jobs that allowed them more flexibility uh, than men. And so then along comes the pandemic. And of course, women have jobs which are more flexible. Um, so, you know, so there's a little bit of that. There's also something that, that sociologists call maternal gatekeeping, um, which I, I hate that term, but, <laughs> but it, is, it is helpful. I mean, essentially, and it's not meant to blame mums, but it's meant to sort of say that there's a more complex process going on here. And what we see is that mums often stop uh, dads stepping up more. And that is because that it's just easier to do it themselves. Mm. So they develop these um, responsibilities and there's these expertise. So one of the things with, which happened with the pandemic is it required a lot of planning, a lot of scheduling. You know, moms would describe these color-coded schedules right. that they would have, right? That is something that moms sort of already did. They were typically responsible for scheduling their kids' many extracurricular activities or whatever. So they would say, well, I already know what I'm doing. It's just, let me just continue with this. You know, my husband wouldn't be able to do this. So they don't kind of give dads a chance. They say, mm. oh, they, this would be a disaster. He couldn't manage this. Um, or the, so they don't trust dads to step up. Um, so there's a little bit of that going on. But also, it's, it's just easier to, to do what you've already done. You know, we're talking about a crisis. We're talking about a pandemic. People are just trying to survive. This is actually not the time to achieve change. <laughs> Achieving massive changes in the division of household labor would require conflict and renegotiations and effort. No one had time or energy for that. So moms would say, and I would say to them, well, did you ever ask your husbands to step up? And they said, oh, who has time for that? I don't want to get into an argument about that. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get through this and survive. Yeah. So, yes, these are all sort of pre-existing things, and this wasn't really uh, the time to try and achieve change. Yeah, I mean, everything else is up in the air, and so do you need one more thing up in the air uh, to figure out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work to overhaul the way you've already been doing things. We'll get back to our conversation in a bit, but first I wanted to remind you about our series, Proving Innocence. We tell the story of Notre Dame law students and faculty who are working to overturn wrongful conviction cases. The first three episodes of this series dropped for subscribers to Notre Dame Stories before Christmas. More episodes will be available in the coming weeks. Thanks for listening. Sounds like, and you know, we mentioned this at, at the top as well. Sounds like there wasn't an awful lot of um, leeway given to uh, maybe moms or dads when it came to their uh, employer, unless, like you said, the, the mom already had uh, a work situation that was was very flexible. You know, it's interesting. I think the the parents I spoke to wouldn't have put it that way. Hmm. 
they described their employers as and their bosses as supportive and wonderful and you know really being there for them so what I, but what I was hearing were these sort of conflicting stories, right? Mm. So what, what they would say is sort of very surface level things. Like, um, oh, my boss has been wonderful. He, um, you know, sent out this email saying, I understand the situation you're in. So they would sort of make sort of these claims of understanding or they would allow kids to show up in Zoom meetings. So there would be sort of a, a sort of basic acknowledgement. You have kids and yes, they're going to interrupt and um, we're going to see them in, in our Zoom meetings. But beyond that, there wasn't really very much. And this surprise, this to me was one of the most surprising. I don't know whether it should have been surprising or not. What I didn't expect to hear, and I heard it a lot, was that actually employees were putting more demands on their employees mm. than ever before. That the workloads and the work hours were increasing. And you would think during this time of crisis, when there is some acknowledgement that parents have kids at home, that, that, that the workload might decrease. And it didn't, the opposite happened. So that was a really interesting part of me, uh, this sort of whole scenario that I was trying to figure out. And I think it makes sense, right? So employees are off sick. They're being laid off. Right. Um, everybody had to change their work processes to accommodate the crisis. There was just a lot more work to be done. And employers acknowledged that parents were struggling, but they also said, this is work that has to get done. And, and we've all got to chip in and we've all just got to sort of pick up the slack. And parents mostly accepted that. They were not critical of their employers. Hmm. They said, yeah, it's a crisis. Everybody has to step in. So I thought that was really interesting. But also the pressure was, was they were putting pressure on themselves. So right. parents would say things to me like, this is a chance for me to prove myself. You know, I want to get that promotion. How do you get that promotion? Well, in a time of crisis, you work longer hours, you step up, you're that. Even if you've got toddlers running around around <laughs> you, you say, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna do it, right? I can, I can prove myself as a, as a reliable employee, someone my boss can count on. Mm. Um, and so they were working longer hours, putting all this kind of pressure on themselves as well. I wonder if that's a, a somewhat uniquely American construct as well. Am I off base there or? No, I don't think you are. I think this is, you know, in some ways it shouldn't be surprising given what we know about American workplace, right? We know, that um, American employers expect their employees to always be available, to put work first above everything else, right? Um, that, that we don't really think of our employees as people, as parents, right, as community members, but they're just, you know, they're just employees. And we know that is a sort of American way of thinking about things, and, and that's sort of part and parcel of why we don't have very supportive family policies. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to touch on the schooling aspect uh, yeah. just a minute because, you know, we've talked about the work life, but, you know, the other variable that was thrown in here was school life and e-learning and helping with, with that. What were the dynamics there? Some schools, you know, some parents would describe their kids having about 20 minutes worth of worksheets to do every day, and then the parents would have to fill in the rest of the time. And other parents would describe you know, teachers that were literally still maintaining a full school day um, with Zoom meetings all through the day. And so there was just so much variation um, 
in, in school kind of responses to this. It's not easy to see a clear picture. But I will say, just as they were with their employers, and I think in this case, rightly so, um, parents were very grateful for, for teachers and for schools. And, and there, was a real, there was a real consensus here. Look, schools were not expecting this. They have really, they have had to step up. You know, teachers have got kids at home too. And everyone is just scrambling to try and make this work. And so they would talk to me about, you know, the main thing was, you know, schools were doing things like making sure that, that all the students had meals for lunch times. They had access to the internet. They had computers to use at home. There was just so much that schools had to take care of. And I think that parents, even when they thought the schools were not really doing a great job, um, they were still sort of understanding mm-hmm. and, and grateful of that this is this was a massive adjustment um, for teachers. Um, you know, one thing I'll just quickly say is there is a sort of gender, if you compare sort of employers with, with teachers, there's a real gender dynamic there mm-hmm. because most teachers are women. Mm-hmm. And so most teachers had in the same position as the parents I spoke to. They, they had the young kids at home. They were trying to manage it all. Most bosses are men, right? And so um, I haven't, you know, it was only when you asked me this question that I started to think through, well, what, how, uh, should we be thinking about employers and, and schools differently? And I don't have a good answer for that. But I do think there's, there's a sort of gender dynamic there. There's a difference that, that's worth at least noting. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to combine a couple questions here because you know we've we've painted um, maybe not the rosiest picture of, of of life, but you know that's that's life in a pandemic. I'm curious though if you saw um, families who maybe as a result of of this study or just the overall living through this, uh, where they saw some areas where you know what things might have to be adjusted when when the dust settles a little bit and. Has there been progress towards some of that that change you talked about in the beginning that can come uh, through a crisis? Yes. So, you know, I think there's a few different ways to answer this. It's not that change never occurred, right? So sometimes, I, I, and, I, and I should have said this earlier, and I, really, I do want to fit this in because I think it's important. There were instances of dads really stepping up. Okay. I think those are important, and I, I do just want to sort of quickly mention that they tended to occur... You know, I'm thinking of a woman I interviewed and she said when the pandemic started, she had to go on a work trip. And then when she got back, she had to quarantine in the basement for two weeks. Well, that so she was out of commission. The dad established all the color coded schedules <laughs> and had all the kids schooling done. And then when she was out of quarantine, he was the expert. So the crisis had given the dad an opportunity to step up, to become the expert, to become the manager of all the schooling, and he continued to do that. Mm. That was fundamentally new for their relationship. And there were a few instances like that where dads just really took it on. And so we do. So, yes, so so there are instances of really good change there. Um, So I do want to point that out. The, the, The other area, and I don't know yet whether this, this will continue. We're actually planning on doing some follow-up interviews um, sort of next summer, so we'll see. Um, but the biggest thing, and this came up a lot, is parents, both men and women, saying how much they appreciated having more time at home, having more time with their kids, mm. having more time with their spouse. Um, we know, and again, this is in some ways distinctly American, we know it's all over the media American family life is overscheduled, rushed, carried away. We 
we have long commutes, so we have to wake up in, early in the morning, maybe not those of us who live in South Bend, but um, in, in the rest of the country. And um, we take our kids to endless extracurricular activities. So parents would say to me, before COVID, we didn't eat dinner together. We'd pick up dinner on the way to soccer practice. Mm-hmm. Um, we barely had any time with our kids. We were just sort of ferrying them around. Now we have lunch together. We go for family walks together. We play games together. And this was something that both um, moms and dads really appreciated. So they were starting to think, well, should when this is all over, what can we do to sort of have more time together um, as a family? So, you know, it's difficult. Because on the one hand, I'm saying to you, moms didn't have any time. They, they worked all night and they got up early in the morning. And that is true. Um, and also, you know, spending quality time with kids is part of intensive mothering, right? So moms were constantly comparing themselves to other to other moms. They'd say, oh, I get on Facebook and all those other moms are describing the wonderful craft projects they're doing with their kids. <laughs> and the wonderful, you know, so that was another thing that moms felt guilty about, the quality time. But, you know, I have to acknowledge this was a really pervasive sentiment that the moms and dads, you know, they appreciated mm. being at home together and with their kids and that's something that I'm really curious you know when all of this is over can somehow families find a way to do more of that or not I don't know the answer yet Hmm. what I do want to say is um you know I always get a little bit nervous trying to sort of encapsulate the complexities of a situation and and I always wonder sort of how's it going to get portrayed I don't think there's like a tagline here like I don't think I mean, I think there is in the sense like, yes, moms feel really, really guilty and really overworked. Um, But these are complex stories, actually. Um, And there's a lot of different factors at play, policies and cultural expectations and workplaces and, and really deeply ingrained patterns of doing things. And so I would say, you know, really, this this is a complex story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm still trying to wrap my head around as well. We'd like to thank Professor Ogebach for joining us for this installment of Office Hours. Notre Dame Stories is produced by the Office of Public Affairs and Communications. I'm your host, Andy Fuller. Our music is by Alex Mansour. <laughs>